0: You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life.
1: All right, all right. Well, thank you all for being here. Um, So I was trying to think about ways to introduce Trent to you. Um, And there's so many things I could say, like give you a resume of why he's here and why he's doing what he's doing. But more than that, my hope is that you pray for your pastor to have people that are in his life that influence him, that, um, that... help guide him and lead him and give him direction and really pastor him. And over the last few months, there have been numerous times where I personally reached out to my friend Trent uh, and he was a source of encouragement to me. He uh, nurtured my heart and my soul. We were able to dialogue. And so just off of that, my hope is that you would welcome him as a friend, as a partner in ministry. He's on the board of our network, which is Great Commission Collective. um, And he is a wonderful man of God, husband and, uh, so I want us to welcome Trent Griffith, please. Thank you, Bill.
0: I love your pastor and I love your church. And uh, if you would, open. Hello. Check. Can you hear me now? Yes. Did you hear me say I love your pastor? Yes. Okay, well, I'm going to say it again. I love your pastor. And I love your church and I'm I'm just always so grateful when Bill says, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I need a break. Would you come and preach for me on a Sunday? And um, actually he didn't say that, but what he did say this morning was it was very weird for him to stay home this morning and get the girls ready to come to church while Lauren was here for worship rehearsal early. But if you know the 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 Vecchio family, you know that Bill probably had very little to do with that. It was all about Selah getting everybody together and getting them to church. If you know her, you know that is true. And uh, I, I love watching what God is doing at your church. And I am the president of the FMCC fan club. I tell your story everywhere I go as what God is doing here is miraculous. Now, I realize if you live in Southwest Florida, you probably haven't lived here long. How many of you are not native to Southwest Florida? You were sent here by a gracious gift of God from wherever uh, the snow fell in your hometown recently, you were here. Uh, And you're probably new, somewhat new to FMCC. Uh, you folded in in the last year or two. How many of you have folded in or you're in the process of folding in or maybe you're just kind of checking it out within the last year or so since this property became available. um, I had the great privilege of pastoring a wonderful church, planted that church in 2009 in the South Bend, Indiana area, and uh, we started with 13 people, and we met in an elementary school for about three years, and the church grew to about three or 400 people, and then there was another church in town that said, hey, we would like for you to... Have our stuff, and so we said, "Okay." And they said, "You've got people; we've got property. Let's put these two things together." And the Lord continued to grant growth. And over 13 years, those 13 people that we started with t- turned into um, about 2,013 people. Uh, while we planted eight other churches out of our church, and they're all thriving and growing, and they now have their place and their home. And so, uh, th- this is this is unusual in the world today. How I do mean, you know that's not normal? Uh, but are praying that it would become normal. Uh, That's what I'm passionate about, and so that's why I'm passionate about your church. I have a question for you today. Why did you come to church today? Just think about that. Why did you come to church? Now, as much as your pastor and I would love to believe that you were so irresistibly drawn here to love Jesus and to love the Jesus people, that's probably not true for everyone here today. As a matter of fact, some of you are here today because you had no choice. Your wife told you you were coming. Or your mom or your dad told you you were coming. Some of you had a drug problem this morning. You were drugged to church and uh, you had no choice in the matter. The choice was made for you. Some of you are here because it's your ritual. You have this ritual. You've always come to church. It's the thing you do on Sunday morning. You wouldn't know what to do if you weren't in church. It's just part of your routine and you're here out of habit not the worst reason to come to church, but you need a better reason to come to church. Some of you are here because it's respectable in your particular circle to come to church. You may feel like you get points um, socially for coming to church, or maybe you actually feel like God gives you points, or somehow if you show up at church more often, God gives you more blessings or more favor, and he might even one day let you into heaven if you dared to darken the door of a church. Wrong answer. Some of you are here because you have a sense of responsibility. Someone was depending upon you to be at church because we needed somebody to park the cars and we needed somebody to work in the nursery and we needed somebody to run the audio, and we needed somebody to play the guitar, and and you you had a sense of responsibility. You're here because you're being depended upon. Thank you. We do depend upon you. And uh, as you move to two services, uh, we need more of you to have a sense of responsibility, especially in a growing church. And let me just say this. uh, I realize that as I'm looking out, you you have a diverse church, and we've already made reference to the fact that there there are children here, which means there are young families here, but I'm looking out here and if, unless my eyes deceive me, there are a few of you that are not young and we need you to accept a sense of responsibility to mentor and nurture the young families and even the children. You have more discretionary time and more discretionary income at this season of your life than you've ever had. Fort Myers Community Church needs you. And so fold in and accept those responsibilities. Now, having a sense of responsibility is not the best reason to come to church. So why did you come to church? Some of you would say, well, I'm looking for something. I'm, I'm reaching, I've, I've tried the best of what the world offers and I haven't quite found anything to scratch the itch, or quench the thirst. So I'm here looking for that. Good reason, good reason to come to church. But let me tell you, my prayer is that you would come to church simply because you couldn't stay away. You were irresistibly drawn into the gathered collective presence as the Holy Spirit meets with his body on his day among his people. Some of you said, I was here. I couldn't wait to get to church. It's the best day of the week. It's the best time. I I couldn't wait to get out of bed this morning. I couldn't wait to be here because this is the place where I am loved, where I am known, where I am cared for. This is the place I'm strengthened. This is the place that I'm encouraged. These people are my people. Those people out there... They are not my people. I feel at home in here, and I feel like a visitor out there, kind of like an alien on a foreign planet, which if you are a Christian, you are an alien on a foreign planet. And one day, this world will become inhabited exclusively by the king of this world and his people exclusively. And you may say that I feel um, each week that, that, man, when when that final song is sung and the final prayer is prayed and the benediction is given, it's the saddest moment of my week when I have to leave this place and I can't wait to get back here next week. Now, listen, how many of you would say, that's true of me. That's my description. That's why I'm at church. All right, three people. And that, that, I thank you for your honesty because the realization is most of us aren't there. As a matter of fact, there's a growing number of people that find church very resistible. They stayed in bed this morning. They're on the golf course this morning. In the rain. It's more it's more fun for them to stand in rain and hit a little ball than it is for them to gather in the collective presence of God and his people. I think I mentioned this last time I was here, but uh, my friend Jim Davis has written a book called The Great D-Churching," and they've done research, to then they've realized that in the last 25 years, there have been 40 million people in the United States that have stopped going to church. And the phenomena is this. Half of those people said they would come back to church if they could find a church like the church that you've been studying in 1 Thessalonians. My prayer is that Fort Myers Community Church would become an irresistible church, that people couldn't stay away because it had the marks of an irresistible church that we find in 1 Thessalonians. Can I read to you the description? of this church in First Thessalonians. We're in First Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse 17. Let me warn you here. Do you understand that the chapter breaks are not God inspired? Somebody put a chapter break in the middle of this paragraph. So we're gonna blaze through the chapter break and go all the way to verse five of chapter three. Notice what it says. This is Paul writing. He says, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord? Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Let's stop right there. Do you see the affection and the love and the irresistible draw that the apostle Paul has to this local church? We're going to see the four marks of an irresistible church this morning. Here's the first mark. It is affection for the family of God. Affection for the family of God. Do you see the the words that he uses? We were eager. We had great desire to see you face to face. I'm sure your pastor's already taught you the context of what was going on here. Paul was in the city of Thessalonica for three weeks. While he was there, he planted this church. But there was opposition that arose, drove him out of town, And he's now writing this letter a year after he's planted the church back to the people that he has such great affection for. He wants to be with them, but he can't be. As a matter of fact, he uses a great term here. In the ESV, it says, he was torn away. The literal word that's used there in the the Greek is the word for orphaned, almost as if, He's torn away from the family that he longs to be a part of. And Paul uses family language all through 1 Thessalonians. You've probably already seen it. He calls himself a nursing mother. He calls himself a gentle father. He's used the terms brother and sister. And now he uses the language of being orphaned as he's torn away. Is that the sense that you have toward this church? That this is not just... An event. This is not just a meeting. This is not just a church. This is my spiritual family. And when I am not with them, I feel like I'm an orphaned child. That's the kind of affection of an irresistible church. Paul felt like family in this church. He knew the joy of being in a place where he was known, loved, cared for, where he had purpose and value, where he was wanted. And he was lamenting the fact that he couldn't feel this affection for them. He wanted to be back with them, but he was prevented. Notice it says this, I love this terminology. He says, I was torn away from you in person, but not in heart. So I was not physically present, but my heart was such, was so drawn to you. Now, um, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever been in a long distance relationship? Have you ever been in, it's like some of you haven't told your spouse this yet, but like, yeah, it's like. Third, you know, whatever. That, that was my experience. My wife and Andrea and I, we've been married uh, for 29 years. Lord willing, we will be married 30 years if I don't mess it up before December. And um, uh, she's in Indianapolis this morning and can't be with me today. I feel torn away from her. And it reminds me of, of the, the weird dating situation we had. Uh, we met in church. I was a youth pastor. She was on a ministry team that came to my church. She was a singer on the team. And then two weeks later, she left but I got her contact information and I kept contacting her. Now, listen, this was in 1992. For those of you who don't understand, this is before Al Gore invented the internet, okay? (laughs) No email, no text, no social media, no Zoom calls, no FaceTime. We had to take out this instrument, it's called a pen, has ink and paper and you had to write letters and then you had to get a sticky thing that you stick it on an envelope. And then like a week later, it arrives at at her location. And so, so much time has passed and she actually got the letter that I wrote, right? And so this was a long distance relationship. And yet though we were physically apart, my heart was wherever she was. I couldn't stop thinking about her. I wanted to make her life better in any way that I could, and yet I I knew that I couldn't do very much if I wasn't physically present there. This is the kind of relationship Paul had with the Thessalonica church. His heart longed to be with them. Why? It's because we share a common love for Jesus. We have common worship. We have common values. We have common culture. And whatever else divides us, socioeconomic status, family background. I met a man here this morning. He introduced himself. He had, had this New York accent. And, and Stephen was telling me, I don't know where Stephen is, but he was telling me. And, and I, I knew immediately we, we were going to have to work hard to like find some commonality because I'm, I'm from Oklahoma. All right, and we just, we didn't grow up together. But you know what? He prayed for me right at the end. I felt like such a a connection to him. I'd never met him. I, I talked to him for five minutes and I got a brother and sister, I got a brother in Christ there. And so that's the kind of connection that you should have and feel in the presence of someone else who loves Jesus. And Paul said he has this great desire to see them face to face. Don't you love it? Coming to church, means bringing your face to church. Please understand, as much as we want your heart, we also want your face. Some people come, some people send their heart to church, but not their face. That's those of you that are watching online right now, okay? We, you can see our face, but we can't see yours. And as much as you're benefiting from us, we're not benefiting from you because your heart may be here, but your face is not. And there's some people that bring their face, but leave their heart. We need both your face and your heart in order for this to be an irresistible church. Several weeks ago, I visited um, uh, two of my daughters who actually live in Franklin, Tennessee. It was over Christmas break and, and we flew to have Christmas with them. And my daughter, Allie, she goes to this amazing church. It's one of my favorite churches. Um, it's, it's a manual church in, in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I've I, I worshiped there a couple of times. And the, the, the way that they start the service has left an indelible impression on me. If I ever have the privilege of pastoring a church again, I will start every service the way that Emmanuel starts the service. They kind of you know, tell everybody, hey, get in here. We're getting ready to start the service. But there's a moment in which the pastor comes and he says, would you please stand? And there's a little pause. And then he says something like this. He says, to all who are weary, and in need of rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who fail and desire strength. To all who sin and are in need of a savior. This church opens wide its doors with a welcome from Jesus, the friend of sinners. Welcome to church. I, I didn't care what else happened in that service. I got all I needed in the first two minutes. This was a place that felt safe. This was a place that felt they, they loved me in spite of all of my imperfections all of the pretense that I would be tempted to bring and all of the the posing that somehow I didn't sin this week and that I perfectly obeyed everything that the pastor told me to do last week from God's word, all of that just got thrown on the floor and says, we're just a wreck, we're just a mess, and that's why we're here. And I was irresistibly drawn into the presence of Jesus. Listen, it's not enough just to have correct gospel doctrine. That gospel doctrine has to create the right gospel culture within the church. Church has to be something more than just absorbing gospel content. It has to be more than sitting in rows. You know, the the, what Paul says, I long to see you face to face. Don't you think it's a little ironic that right now you're looking at the back of someone's head? And now you're really conscious that there's someone looking at the back of your head because that's the only part of your body you haven't seen this morning and you're wondering what it looks like. Listen, gospel culture doesn't happen while you're looking at the back of someone's head. It happens when you're looking at the front of someone's head their face, because their face is the window to the heart. And to know what is going on inside that heart and to disclose what is going on inside your heart, only feel safe when you have affection for the family of God. That affection is what we feel for one another. And it should be the, the thing that we have the most affection for. We should be just dissatisfied with whatever affection comes on the golf course or in the business or on the sports team. Whatever affection you have for your political candidate, God bless you. You should have more affection for King Jesus than any other human on the planet and that's why we can worship together even though we might have different political loyalties. I asked Pastor Bill, I said, Bill, when you read this text, you know, he, by the way, you know, he just assigned me the text. I didn't get to pick the text, right? So he's like, here, just what you're preaching. I'm like, okay, great. So tell me what, what's your first impression when you see this? And, and he says, this, this, these verses make me think of some of the snowbirds in our church. Be honest, tell me if you're snowbirds. Like, is this the time of year you're here? It is, right? Right, you haven't gone back, right? All right, so you're a snowbird. And Bill says, it makes me think of some of the people in our church that are, that are snowbirds. He said, um, he said they, they might leave for six months, but when they come back, they're so thankful to be back and they genuinely missed our church family. And our American culture is not like that. It's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. But what Pastor Bill said about you is there's such a strong connection that even when we are far away from one another, There is a desire for this intentional relationship. And when we're gone, we long to be back together. I trust that you feel that in this church. It's the sign of an irresistible church. Here's the second mark of an irresistible church. Alert to the enemy of God. Alert to the enemy of God. Look at verse 18. Paul says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but... Satan hindered us. That word hindered means blocked, resisted us. And we don't know exactly how Satan was resisting Paul, but somehow Paul wanted to get to them and Satan had put up a roadblock. Now, does everybody understand that Satan is the unwilling servant of almighty God And Satan cannot move one inch without the permission and the allowance and the providence of God. So if God wanted Paul in Thessalonica, he could have removed the roadblock. Everybody understand that? Whatever roadblock Satan's putting in front of you, understand that in God's providence, God is allowing that. Because one day... Satan's roadblocks will all be removed. Jesus defeated him on the cross, doomed him for eternity into a lake of fire. That day's coming. But right now we have to deal with the resistance that comes from Satan. Satan hates God, but he cannot destroy God. So do you know what Satan tries to destroy? He tries to destroy what has the image of God stamped on it. Guess what has the image of God stamped on it? You. And if you are in Christ, now you have the image of Christ stamped on you. Satan hates Fort Myers Community Church. And he hates you because you were irresistibly drawn here this morning. And so he's going to throw roadblocks in front of you to keep you from connecting fully into this church body. So how does he do that? What are his tactics? listen, Satan is resisting this church right now, even as I'm preaching this message. He wants to block us from loving one another to connecting for one another and caring for one another. And he will use every weapon at his disposal to prevent you from drawing close face to face and seeing eye to eye. So what is Satan used to hinder you from fully connecting into this church? For some of you, it's just simply a geographical move. Um, you came from a great church and this one just doesn't quite measure up to your standard. And some people will say, well, because it's not my church, and does it feel like my church, and does it doesn't have all the ornate of my church. Some people just like bow out. It's like, okay, I'm just, I'm just done with church. Or they'll have a superficial relationship with the church through a virtual relationship with a church. Listen, be careful. Virtual's great and good, necessary in certain contexts, but listen, that is not fully engaging in the body the way that God wants. And Satan can even use that as a tactic to keep you from fully engaging. Um, Satan always uses accusations. And so he'll say something like this, you're not good enough to go to church. If you went to church, the roof would fall in on you. Now, listen, I've noticed there's new roofs on this church since I was here last. I, I think you're safe, okay? It's gonna be okay. But you know, you know how crafty Satan is? He will use the opposite argument to hinder you as well. Not only will he say you're not good enough to go to church, he'll flip it around and he'll say, you're too good to go to church. Have you seen those people down there? You see all those imperfections, all the hypocrisy in that church? I mean, you're you're better than those people. Or you're so good, you don't even need to go to church anymore. That's the kind of attacks the enemy will will use to keep you uh, from, from fully engaging in a church. Satan will use good things like nice weather and beaches and golf courses and soccer practice or soccer tournaments or school events, all good things. But if you're not careful, he will use those good things to keep you from the best things, to be fully alive in Christ. He'll use hurt and division. Have you seen how Satan has used division in the church to destroy the work of God in church? A A couple of weeks ago, I was worshiping at a church in Orlando, and I was so blessed by the pastor's prayer uh, he was identifying as we were coming into 2024. Does anybody know there's a few things that's gonna happen in 24 that's actually gonna test the unity of your church? There's a news flash. there's a presidential election coming. Does anybody realize that? Uh, I, I was blessed by the pastor's prayer so much that so I said, just send me that. And this is what he, he said. He said, God, as we enter into another election season, I can't help but think about the way the last election ravaged our church. He said, Lord, Would this election cycle be different? Would you allow us, whoever we vote for, to have a deep sense of our true citizenship? Would you allow us to see that no party perfectly aligns with kingdom values? Would you make us loving and charitable in our disagreements? And would you make us a model of Christian charity to the city in which we reside. Listen, if we elevated our loyalty to King Jesus, we would have a better time surviving presidential elections within the church. Satan is resisting your church. He wants to divide it. He wants to pull you apart. Don't become a tool of Satan to hinder others from coming to this church. Make this church an irresistible church. Here's the third mark of an irresistible church. It's, the, it's anticipating the arrival of God. Anticipating the arrival of God. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus had his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Now, Satan could prevent Paul from coming. Satan cannot prevent Jesus from coming. And that's why he points out here that there's a future focus that the church's eyes need to have. Now, you're gonna find out as you go a little further into First Thessalonians, I don't know if uh, Bill's read ahead here, but he's gonna have to preach on the second coming of Jesus soon. Pray for your pastor. Um, Those are hard topics. The the second coming of Jesus is mentioned in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and he mentions it here. He wants the church to have this future focus, anticipating the arrival of God. But I want you to notice here, he asks a question and then he answers it. The question is, what is our hope and our crown of boasting? Now you would think the answer to that is Jesus. Our hope, our joy, our crown, it's Jesus. That's not the answer he gives. The answer he gives is the church. Paul's joy and hope and crown of glory was the church, and his desire was to present this church as a gift presented to King Jesus and step back and say, Look at them, Jesus. Aren't they glorious? kind of like when you go to your grandmother's house and she looks at you and says, my, how you've grown. You're so precious. I'm just so glad you're here. And that's Paul's hope is that your growth and your health and your continuing sanctification, taking steps of discipleship and becoming a little more like Jesus, that when Jesus does come, Paul and your pastor and you step back and say, Jesus, have you seen the church? Have you seen how amazing, have you seen how they're reflecting your glory? That was Paul's desire. He wanted to step back and show Jesus the work and the progress and the joy of what was happening in that church. So this anticipation of Christ's coming gives us the assurance that all of the annoying imperfections of church people will one day be made perfect. Can I be honest with you? Church people are not that glorious. How many of you have discovered this? How many of you have discovered there are a few imperfections in the people seated around you? I mean, turn and just look at them. Like, yeah, we know what your issues are. Most of you are looking at your spouse right now. Like, I really know what your issues are. So what is the the motivation for continuing to come into a church filled with imperfect people. The motivation is that the imperfections in those people will one day be made perfect. When? When Jesus comes. That's why you've gotta get your eyes up. You gotta put the lens of the gospel over your eyes so that when you see the imperfections of people, you see through the imperfections to the coming of Jesus when they will be made perfect and Jesus will glorify them one day in heaven. By the way, isn't that what you want other people to do with your imperfections Do Like if, if the reality is, we, I, you should be way more focused on your imperfections. If you were more focused on your imperfections, you would have much less time to focus on the imperfections of everybody else. And more than that, we should be focused on the perfections of Jesus. When he comes, he's going to glorify all of us together. We don't know when he's coming. The Thessalonians thought it was going to be like in three hours. And Jesus was late. And it's been 2,000 years. So I don't know what you're in a hurry for. Jesus is not in a hurry. He'd come at any moment. It's great. Uh, I, I had a great opportunity this past year um, I told you I grew up in Lawton, Oklahoma. I didn't grow up going to church. Um, I had a, um, uh, a youth pastor that I didn't know who had a girlfriend that lived in the next door to my house. He would come see her, and then on his way out, he would see me shooting basketballs as a you know, a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid in the driveway. And he'd come over and talk to me. He's like, he'd introduce himself. He's like, you ought to come to my church sometime. I resisted the church. I resisted the invitations. Until finally one day he made a promise to me. He said, Trent, if you come to my church, you will find things there that you're interested in. I'm like, what's that? He's like, we have donuts. (laughs) We have basketball. And we have girls. I was like, what time Should I be there? And so I showed up and sure enough, I found all three. And then I began to hear about Jesus and I began to hear about his claims on my life. And I began to hear about how he died on a cross in my place as a substitute for my sin and I couldn't believe anybody would do that for me and it so overwhelmed my heart. Eventually, I repented of sin. I folded into that church and when I fell in love with Jesus, I fell in love with his church. I became a church rat. I just wanted to be there every time the doors were open. Our church, like your church, went to two services. I remember the very first Sunday, our church went to two services. I went to both services. (laughs) I didn't wanna miss anything God was doing. And in, in, in I sat right there on the front row, and I still have every note that I took from every sermon stashed away in a file. Well, this past September, our church back in Lawton, Oklahoma, it was Cameron Baptist Church, um, was celebrating its 75th anniversary. And they invited everybody who'd ever been a part of the church to come back. And to celebrate, they set aside a four-day revival meeting. It was going to begin on a Wednesday night. It was going to end on Sunday night. And they invited several of us actually to lead the service. They invited me to preach on Thursday night. And so I went back on, on Wednesday night, my former youth pastor, the guy that used to Go visit his girlfriend. He preached. He's now 68 years old. And, um, and then I preached on Thursday night. My best friend, Ray, who was a, a career missionary to uh, an unreached people group in Central Asia, he preached on Friday. The pastor emeritus that I took all the notes from, he preached on Sunday morning. The, the current pastor used to be the associate pastor. He's been there for 45 of the 75 years of this church. I saw my seventh grade Sunday school teacher. I saw the, the guy that invited me to go to the evangelistic crusade that, um, that, that convinced me to go the night that I got saved. I, got, I saw all these people who just, not a dynamic, talented, highly produced church, just faithful, just preaching the word. But I thought back, that was 35 years ago when I was around there. I'm so grateful that those people saw through my imperfections because I didn't have a clue about church. I didn't have a clue about Bible, didn't have a clue about Jesus, but they saw something else. They saw through that 35 years down the road that somehow I might be in a church on a Sunday and open the Bible and be able to encourage you to be a part of an irresistible church. That church was irresistible to me. It's still irresistible to me. That's why I just spent three minutes talking about it. Question. Question. 35 years from today. How are you gonna look back on this Sunday? Have you so invested in people in this church that somebody's gonna be talking about how you saw through their imperfections and love them right where they are and saw something in them where they could become stronger in their walk with the Lord? Here's the last mark. Aided by the servants of God. And so we need to get into uh, chapter three here just real quick. It says this, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, let me tell you, that's a great little phrase there. The Greek word actually has to do with um, a substance that doesn't allow water, light, or liquid to penetrate it. Paul's basically saying, I was bursting. I couldn't hold it in anymore. It just burst out. He said, when I couldn't bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and our coworker in the gospel of Jesus Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn of your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul had this companion, Timothy. And apparently Satan couldn't prevent Timothy from getting there. And so Paul sends Timothy. I thought about that. I wonder if they were disappointed. I mean, Paul had planted the church, Paul had poured into them, Paul had been their mentor, and he sends this snotty nosed kid, Timothy, in his place. Do you understand that every pastor is an interim pastor? And so some of you are here because you've got great affection for Bill and Lauren and they've poured into you and you've been so blessed by them. Like Bill turned 40 recently, do you realize this? Like his days are almost done, okay? It's time for Bill to be finding a Timothy to pour into. And there may be times when Bill says, you know what, we're gonna give the kid a shot. Maybe that's why I'm here. The idea is this. Paul understood the importance of sending people, of replicating himself. And so a church that's irresistible is always looking to the next generation of servants to aid an irresistible church. And he says this in verse two, that Timothy did two things while he was there. It says he established and exhorted their faith. Those two words in other translations say strengthened and encouraged. When you come to church, you should be strengthened and encouraged. When you leave here today, you should have a sense, I'm stronger than I was when I came in. And I have more courage than I had when I came in. I have less fear. But not only that, when you leave church today, you should have also strengthened and encouraged someone else. If someone else leaves this place without strength and without courage, we failed as a church. Some people come to church. If I ask you, why did you come to church? Some of you would say, I came to be strengthened and encouraged. That's half of the answer. The other half is I came to church to strengthen and encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ. I came to pray for people that are weak and weary. I I came to express the love of Jesus to other people. I I came to create a safe environment for people that are are wondering if their sin can be forgiven and their shame could be removed. And so don't just come to church to get strength and encouragement, come to church to give strength and encouragement, knowing that as soon as we dismissed, we're gonna go right back out into a world that is filled with affliction. Did you see what he said? Don't be surprised that the world hates you. Don't be surprised there's opposition and affliction. That is the normal Christian experience. Listen. If you're facing trials and afflictions and heartache and opposition, it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's because you're doing something right and Satan doesn't like it. And rather than praying that God will give you your best life now, pray for strength and encouragement to live as an irresistible church in this world. Let me sum it up with this, five quick applications, okay? Just real quick. You want to make FMCC an irresistible church? Number one, bring your face to church every week. Bring your face and your heart. Just make it a non-negotiable. Listen, if your family has to ask you, are we going to church on Sunday? You've already failed. Just, it's, it's a done deal. We're at church. This is what we do. It's the most important thing we do all week long. Bring your face and your, church, and your heart to church every week. Number two, resist every spiritual force that hinders you. Understanding the schemes of the enemy want to divide and keep you away from these people. Number three, see the future glory in imperfect people. Look through their imperfections to the perfections of Christ and the fact that they will be made perfect on the day that he comes. Number four, come to church ready to strengthen and encourage not just to get, but to give. And then finally, face affliction with future faith, knowing that the first time Jesus came, he faced the affliction of your sin on that cross. The next time he comes, he will remove every affliction and he will establish his kingdom on earth. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Let's pray together. Father, We're so grateful that you are at work in this place. And uh, it is not about a pastor, it's not about a program, it's not about a building, it's not about a facility. It is about your glory. We wanna live to reflect you and we pray God that we would represent you so well in this city that people would be irresistibly drawn to know what's going on among this group of people. God, would you provide every resource God, would you create the kind of sweet affection for one another that allows us to love one another in pain? God, would you give people a passion to come and give strength and encouragement to those who are hurting? And Lord, I pray for those that may be here and have never resolved the issue of your lordship in their lives. It's not about joining a church. It's about joining You abiding in Christ Jesus. And so God, give them revelation. Open their eyes. Give them faith to trust you wholeheartedly. God, give them the the grace to forgive church hurt in their past. And make this a place that's safe and welcoming. A friend of sinners. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.